3: Where's my green hat? I want my lucky hat. Give her the fucking hat, why don't you? Here, I found it. I was sitting on it. Sunglasses next and my lucky green hat. The sunglasses are huge, but I don't care. I pull my shoulder length hair into a low ponytail and pull a light gray face guard over my mouth. All right, we're ready. Let's go, now. We pop out of the Subaru and make it to the door in two big steps. We leave the car running right by the front entrance. Dylan goes in front, and my job is to secure the door and make sure no one comes in or out. Big mistake, that is. My adrenaline starts pumping. I feel invincible. I feel power surging through my body. This is like a drug. Jesus, get a fucking grip. The bank employees stare at me, mouths open. I said, get down. And when they don't get down fast enough, I pull the trigger of the machine pistol.
5: Welcome to The Daugherty Gang, a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. Episode 5, What's Your Magic Number? I'm Courtney Armstrong, a crime producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker. We've been working with producer Beth Greenwald on The Dockerty Gang for months. Now, these three siblings have agreed to tell their story for the very first time, each from separate prisons. Lee Grace Dockerty is at the Federal Correction Institute, Aliceville in Alabama. Ryan Doherty is in the U.S. Penitentiary Tucson in Arizona. And Dylan Doherty is at the Federal Correction Institute in Bennettsville, South Carolina. This call was from a federal prison.
4: At that point, I wouldn't say I was thinking 100% clear. It was just a whirlwind.
5: Several hours after the shooting and the car chase, the siblings crossed the state line into Georgia and managed to elude police. They headed north and found a quiet small-town bank in Valdosta. Dylan continues.
4: How we picked a bank, I mean, I was like, you know, in a Walmart parking lot and had multiple exits and, you know, entrances and there was no cops in the parking lot. You know, that's literally all the the strategical planning that went into it. I know we looked at one bank and there was a cop literally right across the street. I was like, well, we're not going to rob this one. You know what I mean? Like I was looking to have an issue, an altercation with the
6: police, trying to not have that.
5: But it was all getting too real and Ryan, the youngest, was in a panic.
6: We're suiting up in the parking lot, like right next to it. In, like, a Walmart parking lot, and, like, I shit my guts out, like, right up next to the side of the car. Like, old diarrhea, nervous, watery gut shit from about to do it, you know. I'll do crazy things, but, like, my nerves aren't good. I mean, just because you're scared of something doesn't mean you don't do it. So it's just kind of what it is. So I was scared to go rob that bank. Absolutely. But did I have a choice? Not that I could see. I don't know if I ever would have had the nuts to get out of the car if my brother and sister hadn't already been out of it before the wheels stopped rolling. They're out of the car and they're already into the bank by the time I fucking slam the car into the park. So, like, I have no choice because my brother and sister are going in there to do something that's for me, that's for me. So, like, yeah, I'm right on their ass.
5: Unlike Ryan, Dylan felt confident and ready.
6: I wasn't scared. I mean, like I said, the
4: hardest part is opening the door and putting your foot on the ground. Once you do that, you're committed and you just carry through with the plan which was pretty straightforward. I mean, not like this is heat, you know? We we didn't, you know, it's not like there was like all this thought process and logistical, you know, we did this and this and this. It wasn't any of that. It was just merely, there it is, and we're just gonna walk in here. And I was was very calm when I came in. I literally, I kicked the door open with quite a bit of force. Like I said, kind of like a little foyer. You come through one set of doors and another set of doors, and I'm thinking, what? You know, the doors are locked now, you know, and we're gonna be stuck in here. And I don't even think they had that option.
5: Dylan was carrying an AK-47 and Lee Grace was armed with a machine pistol. Ryan held the bag for the cash.
4: I just let it be known this was a bank robbery and you know we needed you to know, get on board and be apart and open the drawers and such and such.
5: Dylan took the lead, but things didn't go exactly as planned.
4: Well, I was very calm when I came into the bank and in fact I was polite. I wasn't screaming. That's the reason I fired the gun, was in the first place, because nobody was moving. And I came in and I was like, sorry, folks, this is a robbery. I'm going to need that drawers opened up. And everybody was just sort of staring at me, like, why is this guy so polite? Why is he saying sorry? Excuse me, folks. And, and nobody was moving. And then the gun was discharged, and everybody kind of snapped back to reality and was like, oh, this is actually a bank robbery. You know, Ashton Kutcher isn't in the closet waiting to jump out on us. So everybody started moving. Everybody started opening the drawers. I felt like I was pretty calm during the whole thing. Just that one shot into the drywall took it from a three to a nine. And I would have never even shot the gun. had people moved when I asked them to. I think if I'd have come in and been screaming and hollering, you know, that would have been a better tactic, you know, and then I wouldn't have had to shoot the gun. But uh, I was polite and everybody was sort of just sitting there. I think after the first gunshot, I think they were just like, we want these people out of here and everybody safe and sound. Obviously, I didn't set out to get caught. The point was to not be caught. But I feel like had I done nothing, the light would have never been shown on it. It's like one of those things where sometimes to get everybody's attention in a room, you have to shoot a gun. I don't know if that sounds crazy, but...
5: Producer Beth Greenwald spoke to Dylan. All the guns that you
7: had were legally purchased. Talk to me about your history of that because I know you knew how to shoot. Gun
4: safety is always important to me. Even if you look in the bank, pictures of me on the gun. Uh, One, the gun is pointed in a safe direction. You know, it's pointed up at, at the ceiling. My finger isn't riding on the trigger. It's outside the trigger well. These are just proper gun safety techniques that I learned as a young child growing up in a household that had quite a few guns and proper gun safety. I got my first rifle when I was probably, I think I was there five or six. I got a 22 rifle from my biological father, and that's where my collecting guns started at that early age.
5: Lee Grace brought her own logic to the robbery when she spoke with Beth.
7: And were you scared at all? I mean, you had never done anything like this in your life. I don't think I was scared. You know, you're in a situation where you see the look on people's
8: faces, and you realize that they're really scared, and it kind of makes you a little bit calm because you're like, well, I'm kind of in charge right now, and these people, they have to do what I say. And you feel empathy for them because you don't want anybody to have to go through that and you are the one with the gun. So, I mean, it kind of takes a little of the edge off, you know, the fear that, you know, maybe something bad will happen. I think when you're doing something like that, your adrenaline takes over, and your body just says, well, this is what you're supposed to do, and it just does that. So, was I scared? No. There's so much adrenaline, you don't have time to be afraid
4: of anything.
5: Dylan remembers how Lee Grace failed to stick to the plan.
4: I just said, Lee Grace, just, you know, stay on the door, and you see the police just yell, and we'll know that it's time to go, and I think I turned around, and the doors are
6: shut, and I
4: was like, where's Lee Grace?
6: She didn't exactly mind her post, but then again, adrenaline's coursing through you, so you kind of do as you will. Next thing I know, she's like standing right behind me,
4: or close to me, and I was like, well, you know, I turn around, I'm thinking the door's already
5: shut. Here's Lee Grace, speaking with producer Beth Greenwald.
7: With the bank robbery, Dylan told me that he told you to stay by the door. Tell me from when you walked in your recollection of that.
8: As much as Dylan tells me what is the correct thing to do or what he wants me to do, there's always that part of me that says, you know what, I'm the oldest in the family. I can be a leader too. Let me do what I want. So I think as soon as I saw Dylan go into the middle of the bank, I said, hey, I want to be right where Dylan is. And that's kind of how I ended up right in the smack dab middle of things. To me, I thought I was by the door, but then when I look back, I have those little still shots in my brain. I kind of was not at the door at all. I think I was really by the front and center of the bank.
5: While Dylan kept the attention of the bank patrons and employees, Ryan leapt into action to get the money from the tellers. Here's Dylan.
4: I know Ryan went to jump over the counter and he's like, um, we have a deceased uh, sibling here. And he's like, oh, I was, you know, trying to go over the counter, and Aaron's hand was, you know, help me over.
5: Turns out, what Ryan thought was divine intervention from his deceased sister, Aaron, was really brotherly help.
4: I was like, no, that was me. I grabbed you by the waist and one arm tossed you over. i seen you struggling, so
6: I gave you a boost. I thought that I had mad hops because I cleared a counter that was every bit of, like, five foot tall. It was one of those counters that was, like, chest high, right? I ran, and, like, imagine if you posted with one hand and then elevated your body at, like, a tilt and jumped over, kind of like a side bolt, and you're holding the bag and a gun in the other, slung yourself over like that. See, I thought that that was all on my own. I thought I had mad hops, and I was, like, super impressed with myself. I was like, hell yeah, score one for adrenaline. And then later I find out that my brother had, like, taken his hand and put it in the middle of my lower back and shoved me up over the counter at the same time I was doing that. And the odd thing is, it's not like I said, hey bro, do this thing for me. It's just that his mind and ours work enough alike to where we don't necessarily always need to communicate in order to do things.
5: In an odd turn of events, a bystander saw Dylan in the bank.
4: I went and stood in the doorway and I remember there was a fellow walking down the street and it was was kind of funny because he looked at me, saw me looking at him and it was like, we were both like, you know, looked at each other and then he just looked straight forward. He just started doing a straight-legged, stiff legged quick march <laughs> straight down the road. He didn't get out his phone to call anybody. He didn't look back again. I'll never forget that.
5: A close call was averted and the trio moved quickly. Producer Beth Greenwald spoke to Dylan.
7: How long were you guys even in the bank? It feels like it wasn't more than about a minute.
5: Uh, no, it wasn't long at all. It was in and out, grabbed and hit the drawers, and we were gone. Probably a,
4: a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. I think that's another thing. I wasn't like tactically, you know, running a stopwatch. We're not the, you know, 87-second bandits or anything like that. It was in and out and quick. Uh, I wasn't trying to, you know, throw a tent up on the lobby or anything. Dylan and
8: I had briefly discussed it, and we said we wanted to be in and out in 60 seconds. And whether or not he came up with that number or whether it's something that we discussed, you'd have to ask him. But I do know that as soon as Ryan cleaned out the tellers, we spun around and just ran out. There wasn't any discussion about going in the vault. There wasn't any discussion about hurting anybody. There was no hostage situation. There was nothing of that, because we didn't want people to see us. We didn't want people to be involved. We wanted it to just be a clean, plain robbery.
4: It was surreal. It was kind of weird. It's nothing that we like rehearsed or scoped it out or had some you know, there's a lot of people I know that they brought it back and they had all these plans and you know, you're tactical whatever and, and yet you're still caught.
5: Here's Beth speaking to Lee Grace. Did you leave the car
7: running outside?
8: Oh, of course. yes. As soon as we got in the car, we pulled off. There was no stopping. There was no looking around. We actually just took off. As soon as my feet were off the pavement, Ryan was already in motion. I mean, he really had the pedal to the metal. And with Ryan, there's no hesitation. Once he's driving, that's his goal. So he's not going to be slowed down by anybody that's going to be lollygagging.
5: Phil Niedringhaus, a retired special agent with the FBI for nearly 30 years, was involved in the Dockerty case.
9: It wasn't like they walked in and passed a note. They walked in, I think they had a MAC-11, an AK-47, and a handgun, and actually fired rounds in the bank. The FBI deals with a lot of bank robberies every day across the United States, but it isn't that often that you have shots fired in a bank. Also, super dangerous to everybody inside. So these three idiots did everything they could to put
4: themselves on the radar of law enforcement.
5: Dylan didn't quite grasp the gravity of the situation until much later.
4: It's weird. Like when I think when I somebody says oh he robbed a bank I would be like oh he had a gun. Well of course he got a gun he robbed a bank. But apparently there's a lot of people that use a note or you know and come in with a piece of paper and, and I kind of, they obviously get less time. You know I, I didn't I didn't Google that. A lot of these people rob banks with notes now. You know what I mean?
9: we have more bank robberies than almost any place in the United States. So we were dealing with five or six bank robberies a week, and we had a group of agents and task force officers that were primarily dealing with violent fugitives every day. So we knew about, because of the national news coverage and stuff the FBI put out, that this group of three siblings had got involved in a shooting with law enforcement in Tampa Bay area, Pasco County, Florida, and then were suspected of having robbed a bank in Georgia
4: Once we realized how elevated our position had become in law enforcement's eye, I wasn't trying to rob another bank the next day or later that afternoon. We were sort of just trying to let things cool down, simmer down a little bit. Obviously we didn't have a TV. And I'm trying to think of how far along smartphones were. I I, want to say it was like maybe the second Apple phone. When I was out there, everybody had a Blackberry or one of those Sidekick. So it wasn't like, you know, everybody now has instant media
10: at their fingertips.
5: Detective Tim Harris in the Pasco County Sheriff's Office in Florida was trying to track the Doherty's since the shootout with police earlier that morning.
10: It actually helped us that they robbed the bank. It was unfortunate, of course, but it actually helped us at the end of the day because it pointed us in a direction. So we were able to kind of escalate the bolo. We meaning, you know, as detectives here in Pasco, we had reached out to ATF involved because of the weapon circumstances. We had the FBI involved because of the bank robbery, and so we had a bunch of tips coming in. And then, of course, once we realized that they had left the state of Florida and robbed the bank in Valdosta, then we went back and issued a bolo through Inlets, which is the National Law Enforcement Terminal, and we put it out, FCIC, NCIC, across the United States, in the event that they were traveling to other states, which, as we found out, they were, of course. The unfortunate thing was the bank was just off of Interstate 75, so they could go north on 75 all the way up into the Smoky Mountains up into Tennessee. They could have went a little bit further north to Atlanta, went across and got on I-95 and went up into the northeast or they could have went across I-10 or an interstate north of that and, and went into Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, going that direction. We honestly didn't know.
5: We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment.
1: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity Voice Remote. This is it,
2: your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future
5: The were not sure where they were headed either. Ryan spoke to Beth.
7: What state do you go to? I mean, you don't stay in Georgia, right? Where were you guys? Honestly, man,
6: it was just left and right. My brother was in charge of the Atlas and the map. We were just driving around looking for likely places to either hit the next bank or just some place to kind of lay low. And what people don't realize is, like, you can't go to a hotel because they require a credit card. I don't give a fuck how seedy, crackhead, prostitute, two-hour rental shit, they all require a credit card. It all requires your face to be seen. And the whole United States has got a cell phone and waiting to rat on you for no other reason but to tell on you.
7: Did you ever think about ditching the car and getting a different car?
6: <laughs> yeah, that thought it crossed my mind a time or two.
7: And why didn't you? Because they were looking for three siblings in a white Subaru.
6: Yeah, a white four-door vehicle is probably the most common vehicle in all the United States. And then to grab different tags off of a car lot isn't shit, right? It's like two screws versus actually taking somebody else's vehicle, which, you know, you either have to catch them with the keys or know how to steal their car. And as good as I am at a few things, it actually takes a little bit of work to break that lock that's on the steering wheel, the steering lock, and then not only that, but, like, my car thievery skills end after, like, the 2000s. Anything after that becomes way too computerized for me to figure out how to steal. If you're talking about a couple screws and some wires, like I can do it and a chisel and a hammer and a break the steering lock. If it's past two thousand and two I'm hit. I can't steal that.
7: What about Dylan? He was extremely mechanical.
6: Yeah, I know, but I mean it's still the same problem. Essentially you're just gonna end up having to carjack somebody. And then there's another point of contact. It's a vehicle that's an unknown quantity. Is this like a quality vehicle? Or is this vehicle had the oil changed regularly? How am I going to be driving this vehicle? Am I familiar driving it? Risk versus reward on a scale, and the risk doesn't always equal the reward. A different car certainly would help, probably, but the risk for it versus the reward, you know, what happens when the person doesn't give up the keys, thinks that they're going to play a cowboy and play keep away with you, and I shoot him in the kneecap. It's just not a good look.
5: So how bad were their deeds? Dylan puts it in perspective.
4: Having a running shootout with the police is like an 11, and then robbing a bank is probably like a 9, and then, you know, riding a motorcycle on one tire at 140 miles an hour is like a, uh, probably like a 7.5, so that'll kind of put it into perspective.
5: Like it or not, the gang was all in and they had to keep moving.
4: We got on the interstate, headed south, and we got off about two exits down, and we started heading west out of Georgia, and we actually turned and went back into the panhandle of Florida and skirted over. And I I think it was just mainly to get out of the state because we were right there to the close of the state line. I don't know if you can hear it. It's kind of getting loud here. I hope think you can still hear me, but.
7: I can hear you. I can hear you.
4: We're just headed west, you know, on the panhandle. The only reason we really did that was just to get out of the state because obviously the local authorities are going to be looking. They're not going to call Florida and be like, hey, we just got robbed in Georgia. You know what I mean? That's not not what's going to transpire. So, and at that point, we're going southbound. We were moving fast, jumped on the interstate heading south. And then he had went across and pulled a U-turn really fast, and we were made. There was a point where Lee Grace was like, well, maybe we could just turn ourselves in. And I was like, I didn't think that was possible anymore. I really thought that that window had closed for us, and in a ways, rightfully so. I don't take it personally. When you shoot at the police, you have to understand that once you do that, you're opening that door. Now, a lot of people have been shot and killed by the police and choked to death by the police and didn't do anything.
8: Once we got over the state line, it was kind of one of those situations where just looking at each other we're like, well, I guess we're going to have to do this. And I think, you know, you're in a group dynamic and you have an incident happen and you make it away from that incident. It kind of gives you a feeling that you're invincible. You can't get caught because if they really wanted to catch you or if they could catch you, they would have already caught you. So it gives you that euphoric freedom to kind of do something else.
5: Beth spoke to Sheriff Naco of Pascal County.
7: As it gets longer and longer into this crime spree, you get more concerned that at that point nobody had been hurt. Does this become more urgent?
12: It's difficult to always be in the mind of somebody who's committing these crimes, but you're constantly trying to evaluate what are they thinking. So in that aspect, they probably felt they couldn't communicate with loved ones because they knew the phones were not going to be a wise way to communicate. At the same time, social media was not going to be their best way. They probably were feeling that they're running out of options. They already hit one bank. Whatever money they had left, eventually, they're going to run out of. So you're trying to figure out what are their options, where are they headed to, how desperate will they be. And the other part, too, is there's three individuals in a car committing crimes. Eventually, over time, they're going to get on each other's nerves, or all three of them just go their own separate ways. So you're constantly trying to think ahead from a psychological perspective. What are they planning to do? But I go back to it. We thought they were going to leave the country. That was his best way for him not to go back to prison, for them to live not under a microscope of constantly being chased down by law enforcement. So it was that tight bond of the family that people admired. But that tight bond also didn't allow them to rationally think out a plan to say, this
5: may not work
12: out well for us.
5: Former FBI agent Niedringhaus.
9: It's pretty amazing that people still rob banks the way they do. I mean, I think people rob banks because there's banks everywhere. You can stop at any major intersection and look up and see a bank. I mean, there's more banks than there are liquor stores. So that's part of why banks get robbed. But you go in and rob a bank, you know there's going to be security of some sort. You know there's going to be cameras and you know you're gonna get the FBI chasing you. So in the criminal mastermind world, that's a pretty poor choice for a way to get money is to go in to rob a bank. And the average bank robbery take nationally is less than $2,000. It's not like you're going in and hitting a bank and getting in the vault and getting a couple hundred thousand dollars. If you're hitting the teller drawers, I mean, you're lucky to
10: get two, $3,000.
5: Here's Detective Harris.
10: Obviously, the circumstance in Georgia was under the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Actually, it fell under the FBI jurisdiction because it was FDIC-insured bank.
7: They understood certain things that they did through a scope that was how we look at things, and some of it was just an altered reality for them.
10: You put yourself, Beth, in their shoes. They decide to run, first of all. That run, as we talked about, could have went a million different directions. But immediately, they're pursued by a police officer. They get into a shootout. They flee from that. They travel up the interstate. They rob a bank. In their minds, they're like modern-day Bonnie and Clyde. So, like you said, there's a lot going on in their mind, but at the same time, they're doing a lot of bad stuff.
5: Law enforcement cast a wide net to find the armed and dangerous siblings. Here's Sheriff Nako.
12: We knew they had to obtain cash somewhere, and that's where they went into the bank, robbed it. For them to go into a bank is even more brazen than what we thought. They would just hit a convenience store. But then it started falling more in line of, they're desperate. They're willing to do anything. But when it got to Georgia, I think that was the moment when people realized nationally that this wasn't just a Florida issue. This was getting into a national issue to find out where they were going to go next. And so that's where I think when we started seeing a lot bigger engagement by agencies across the country, wanting this information, wanting to know what was happening because they recognized that if they went to Georgia, where was next?
5: Let's stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment.
2: at purdueglobal.edu.
5: The Doherty's reflected on their crime spree. Here's Ryan, followed by Dylan. This call is from a federal prison.
6: Had it been better planned out, would things have went better? Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe people would have wound up dead, and I find life to be precious. I'm able to casually discard my life, right? But I find other people's lives precious. I learned one thing about myself. I can run towards bullets. Not everybody can do that. I mean, at least I know in, like, a crappy situation, I'm able to still hold it together and function. And
4: I said that, like, in passing to my attorney one time. If I could say I'm sorry to each one of those people, I would. But you know, the, the next day, it's one of their b- better days. And you know what's crazy is they're still telling that story and Applebee's on Friday
7: night to this day. They're still they're still telling that bank robbery story.
5: The Doherty myth was becoming a reality, at least to them. Here's Beth talking to Needringhouse.
7: And looking at how they robbed the bank, they obviously understood what they were doing, but the way they did it, it seems like they saw it in a movie and thought that they could pull this off. You know, this is a robbery, you know, shooting into the ceiling, all of that.
9: Yeah. So, I mean, usually people come in and they get a teller drawer, maybe two teller drawers. It's not like a bank teller's drawer is stuffed full of cash. The banks aren't stupid. They rotate that cash out and it goes to the vault or wherever. So, yeah, the average bank robberies aren't high dollar criminal propositions unless you're a really organized takeover crew and you're getting behind the counter and cleaning out all the drawers, top and bottom drawers.
5: Beth asked Lee Grace about the money.
7: Were you guys driving away when you were counting it? I'm pretty sure it was a tool bag full of cash. I actually had rummaged through it,
8: and I was dumping most of the cash on my lap because Dylan's telling me, hurry up and count it. I want to see how much money was in there. And I started to count it. Dylan's looking at me, and I'm counting the money. I'm realizing it's only 5000 He's like, well, count it again. I said, okay, well, I'll count it again. So, oh, and I'm pretty good at counting money. And he's looking at me. I'm looking at him. I'm like, dude, it's only 5000 She's like, man, count it one more time, you know, because we're like in this state of shock, like, you know, we're thinking like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, and it was nowhere near that. So the whole planning of it, there was no planning, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that when you're in a family crisis, you're not using logic, you're not motivated by the facts. You're motivated by emotion. And I think that's what caused a lot of people to commit crimes of these magnitudes is that you're going purely by your emotions for your family and you're reacting. And I think that was our downfall.
6: What's your magic number, right? Everybody's got a number. That's the funny thing, right? Everybody's got a number that they're like, man, I could retire on that, right? Or man, I'd be satisfied if I got that. And honestly, like, a couple hundred grand would have done it, like, Anything north of like two hundred and fifty or three hundred grand would have, would have been enough, at least for seed money to go. There's like, okay, I'm gonna retire, and then there's okay, I'm gonna invest. It's not well thought out. None of it was well planned, and you can tell by the actions that we did. Yeah, I've seen heat one or two times, but that doesn't make me a professional bank robber.
7: I guess I was always under the impression that the money was just to get you across the border, but. The money was to set you up?
6: Yeah, exactly. I don't want to do all of this and risk life and limb and go somewhere else and work.
8: We were thinking San Diego would be a good place um, and then just cross into Tijuana because we do know there is a large American presence there, and we wouldn't have stuck out as much.
4: Usually somebody would be sleeping in the back seat, you know, curled up with a shotgun.
8: I think a big fear of ours was actually getting to the border and getting into a shootout with a non-American police
6: force. The price of life down there is dirt cheap. Not only that, I don't speak Spanish. I'm an outsider wherever I go. You're mainly relying on the fact that you don't pop up on the radar. Don't be noticeable. But if they want you bad enough, they'll just come get you anyways.
5: More on that next time. If you're over 18 years old and want to see pictures of Lee Grace and Ryan Doherty or find their addresses to write them in prison, Go to our Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Doherty Gang is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong, along with Beth Greenwald, Sean McEwen, and Joseph Morgan. Editing and sound design is by Jeff Twa. Additional producing by Chris Graves and Jeff Shane. The Doherty Gang is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity Voice remote.